Welcome, guys. We are back for another episode of The Lock-In. I'm David Lavin. I am joined by my fellow Unibet ambassador and man who, like me, did not win the Irish Open, Dara O'Carney. Dara, welcome. Thank you, David. Thanks for reminding me that I didn't win the Irish Open again this year. Um, uh, or even cash it, in fact, uh, which you did. Well done, David. Yeah, a, a triumphant min cash plus a ladder. Uh, joining us this week is Scottish poker player and man that, unlike us, did win the Irish Open last week, David Doherty. David, welcome. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you for reminding me that I won the Irish Open and that I cashed it on my Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> In all seriousness, Davey, uh, huge congrats on the result. You took home 365k, a career best payday, I know. We were fortunate enough to be on the rail for the heads up. And although you were very composed, it must be said, it was also very clear, particularly with that sort of triumphant fist bump at the end, that it did mean a great deal to you. Yeah, of course. I mean, like... It's sort of the thing where you, you don't give anything away in the game, but I'm like, you know, I'm still feeling nerves. I'm still feeling, you know, the enormity of the situation. Looking around me, I've got all my friends in the rail, got all my family watching at home. It's going to be my biggest score. It's one of the most prestigious titles you can possibly win as a poker player. So, you know, I've got all that going on. Um, and yeah, the fist bump at the end was just relief that I didn't have to keep playing heads up because I was exhausted at that point. <laughs> well, speaking of the heads up there, Dara, David defeated Declan Rice in what was a, a compelling enough heads up. And it, and it could have gone either way at one point. Decky played terrifically well, as did the other final tablers from Ireland, Andy Black. Can you talk about both of their performances? Yeah, Decky's an interesting one because he's he's actually more of a cash game player than tournament player this year. We we used to run into him quite a lot at the um at the old MPN stops. He used to pretty much go to all of those. Um and uh he used to also play on the micro gaming network. I used to play against him most nights. So, you know, he 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 has been around for a good while. A lot of people maybe it was their first time ever seeing him and they thought he was just some random farmer who had driven up to play the um Irish Open, but that wasn't the case. He's 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 actually uh playing for quite a while, has has results going back for quite a while and um and 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 has has put a bit, a bit of work into his game. Um, so it was great to see him get result. And I believe he just got in at the last minute as well, and in the last satellite, and he bagged up less than starting stack on day one. So um, it just shows you like all this talk about oh you have to get a stack on day one. Although I am mindful of the irony that 
David was was day one chip leader. <laughs> uh, it doesn't actually mean that you need a huge stack to go deep in the tournament. Uh, you know, Declan went all the way to heads up and could have actually won it. I think he pulled. A, he, he was ahead for a while. Chad heads up. Um, so yeah, great performance for him. Andy kind of really just rolled back the years. Uh, he was on my very first table, and he actually knocked me out um, on my first bullet set over set. And he just kind of powered on from there. Um, he was pretty short most of the way through the tournament until a very big pot against Ankit, uh, where he had Queen, sorry, where he had Jacks against Queen 10 on a Queen 10 8 board and hit a straight. And that kind of gave him the chips that propelled him to the final table. Um, it, it, it was clear it meant a lot to Andy. You know, Andy, for all of his achievements, has never won the Irish Open. He's had plenty of deep runs. Um, but this was his uh, this was his first deep one in a, in a while. And, you know, it's a bit like when some great snooker player like Jimmy White is coming towards the end of their career and they turn up at the Crucible every year. And, you know, if they if, or Steve Davis, actually, I remember Steve Davis going late one year. It, it, there's always that sort of thought in your mind as an older player. Maybe this is my last chance, my last meaningful chance. So I think it meant a lot to Andy and that came across as well. Um, I I don't know. I think it was just chip race run good, just good old fashioned chip race run good. Well, speaking of chip race run good, uh, I mean, I gave Kevin O'Donnell, our good friend, a chip race patch, which he graciously agreed to wear, and he he lasted about six hands. So he's convinced <laughs> now that the patch is utterly uh, boxed. Which, um, <laughs> if you look at my recent live record, there is some there is some evidence for that. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure about chip race run good, run good at all. No way. So we're even claiming Dave's chip race run good, or at least I am. Uh, David, you were kind enough to do a Q&A with me earlier this week, something you also did after your GUK PT Luton win. The theme of the Luton piece was how due or maybe even overdue you were. However, in this article, the theme was how you've now switched over fully to becoming a sun runner. Can you talk a bit about the last few years culminating in, of course, this big result? Yeah, no worries. Um, I think uh, I was speaking earlier, actually, um, because I'm like a celebrity and I had another podcast before this as well. Uh, oh, no, who was it? Uh, who was it, did you say? Yeah. It was uh, Poker and Ears. Oh, very nice. Have you heard of them, David? I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm trying, I'm trying to think, do we know them? <laughs> I, don't know. I, I don't know. They may have, they may have won an award after we won it. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, anyway, like the same sort of topic came up with them. And I, I was saying that, that the pandemic like almost saved my poker career in a way because I was very much gravitating away from it. I'd sort of been at my wit's end. Um, the bankroll was running low. I didn't have um, any significant scores in a number of years at that point. And I was playing like a substantially lower EBI than I thought I, I should be playing. And, you know, just a lot of things like that were culminating in me sort of making the decision to maybe step away. And then the pandemic hit and I get locked in my house for a year and the games get really soft online again. And I had basically no option but to just sit in and grind online and, you know, study as much as I could. And then Jack Cardcastle almost like also had a huge amount of success in that time. Uh, both online and in the live environment and us being good friends going back a number of years at that point he decided that he wanted to stake me. And it was basically from that point onwards where I was, I, I finally had the opportunity to, you know, just fire all the bullets and everything that that I that I thought I should be playing. And 
um, but also had that really long period of time where I could get a lot of studying and get really good at things that I was maybe not so good at. Um, you know, that all just sort of knitted together quite well. And yeah, when I when I, I broke through in, in Luton, um, it was a huge result, obviously, for me. Like beating Dom heads up was, was really cool to get over the line. Um, but yeah, I've just pushed on from there. I've re- I really felt a big confidence this from that. And I've had another couple of wins, even besides the Irish Open, the EPT final table, obviously. And I just feel like they are coming like one after another at the moment. Um, obviously thrilled to win the Irish Open last week, but I don't really feel that that's going to be the pinnacle in the, the coming years. So I think I still have like other big things to come. Great stuff. Well, Dara, I think we both agree that David was always one of those guys who ran under EV, probably expressed in a lot of run bad in the end game. Um, there are obviously loads of different ways to run bad and be unlucky in poker. Can you talk maybe a bit about the different ways that variants can manifest? Yeah, I, 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 I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. I can't remember who it was. And actually, it was Connor B. Yeah. Uh, and we were saying that, you know, the problem with live is just the sample size is always so small. Even if you grind quite a lot uh, live, a year is still basically a Sunday online. And we all know how bad a Sunday online can go. And, you know, even a, even, even a series of Sundays, the variance really does come down to sort of the end game. It's it's, it's when you get to, into that position and whether or not you win the flip or you cool, you you're on the right side of the cooler, um, that that kind of determines how your overall results are going to go because you know if 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 the best series of results you have in a large in a fairly large live sample is you know twelve to fifteenths, um, you're not going to be a winning live player. That's just the reality. Um, you're going to have to need some big scores in there. <clears throat> Um, I, I was interested to hear David say how the pandemic saved him. Like I did write at the very end of the pandemic that I felt there was going to be a shaking up in the order because I was aware of some players who had worked very hard like David during the pandemic and they were going to come out uh, all guns blazing. But there were other guys who had literally sat on the couch feeling sorry for themselves or enjoying uh, downtime for 18 months and they were going to find uh, that suddenly they were facing not just uh, rejuvenated players like David but a, ho- a whole generation of new players who were completely unknown before the pandemic uh, you know guys like Elliot Houdon who came straight out and won the won the big one in the win um, and 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 I think we're seeing that that's going to continue to be a to be a feature speaking of Jack Hardcastle I have to, I have to uh, share this just after uh, David won I sent him a message saying your boy did good and his response was very Jack-like, about fucking time, eh? <laughs> we talk about chip race run good. Fucking Jack Hardcastle run good. That boy's money runs very, very well. Yeah, I'm going to hang on to as much of it as I can, I think. I'll just send him <laughs> my portion of the money. <laughs> send it to him in, like, you know, bags of change. Yeah, I th- yeah, that's, a, that's quite a good idea, actually. Or maybe like multiple currencies, just so that he, <laughs> he has to sort it all out. On the on on the subject, actually, one thing a few people uh, asked me to ask about was they were surprised that there was no deal done, and apparently the, it came across on the live stream that David was the one who didn't want to deal. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that, David? Um, I can do. Yeah. Um, so basically, um. As soon as Tom Waters busted in fourth, um, I think Panos, the Greek guy, had said something about it would have been fair if it was a chop. And he was talking about the fact that the, the two hands four-handed um, were very strong, so it was a cooler. And he was like, well, it would have been fair if they chopped it up because you know it's sort of unlucky that someone busted in that instance. And I think Declan misinterpreted what he was saying as him asking for a chop 
And so therefore, like Declan started asking if we wanted to talk numbers. And I just said, I'm intri- I'm I'm happy to just keep playing on in a moment. Um it then came up again when we got heads up, but I had like a I had a three to one chip lead and it came when it came to heads up. And I said, you know, I'm still quite happy to play. And then when he doubled through me with the with the, the A7 be the deuces, um, we were dead even in chips, and he asked me once more. And you know, I, I just said again, I, I'm quite happy to play on. It's it's something I would say it's slightly philosophical in that I'm a I'm a bit of a traditionalist where you know I recognize that I'm playing a gambling game for a living and I don't really mind like playing it out heads up. I know it's very high stakes, but if it comes to it, um I don't really mind like playing it out. Um I also think there's something to be said for regs not realizing their edges and you're talking about um how high variance life terms can be now obviously playing 100k heads up match 30 bigs effective is very fucking high variance but by the same token i've seen when i've been doing a gukpt commentary or just watching the final tables or whatever over the last few years i've seen so many instances of regs who i think have a significant edge heads up three-handed four-handed and they're dealing with like amateur players you know I, I can't remember which tournament it was but it was a tournament um recently in the last six months or something where uh this young kid had been playing his first ever live tournament and he was like chip leader um you know with with three or four left and they chopped up the prize pool and i was like man this kid's gonna fall to pieces heads up three-handed like you just got such a huge edge on him why would you ever deal there and I understand that people, you know, the money is important for people. It's very high variance, as I say. Um, it could be important in their life. They might need it um, a bit more in certain points than others. But, yeah, for me, I just think there's a there's an edge to be had in those situations. I think heads-up edges in life terms are sometimes bigger than people think they are, um, where there's a lot of people who have never played heads-up or very rarely played heads-up. and you see blunders all the time if you're familiar with um with heads up poker at all. And if I lose, if I had played and I'd lost heads up to Declan, I would have been totally fine with that. I think that's that's a big part of it as well. I don't mind if I do that and I finish second. A lot of people would be annoyed at themselves or second guess whether they should tell. I can accept the results at the end of the day. And yeah, I, I just um I just felt like I had a pretty significant edge three-handed and I just didn't want to didn't want to deal. Yeah, I appreciate where you're coming from there. I think it's, um, yeah, like you said, a, a philosophical decision. Obviously, you don't get too many opportunities to get heads up for that kind of amount of money and the variance is high. But on the flip side, maybe, as you say, if you're willing to just embrace it and, and sort of let the cards fall where they may long term or if run over lots, lots of universes, I, I guess you would have an edge. The subjective value of the money may be less important these days as well with you doing so well. I don't know. Maybe that's a bit of a two. Um, when we chatted midweek, Dave, you also said something that I think the Irish poker community would actually really appreciate. You said, I had a discussion with Owen Robinson uh, many years ago about whether winning an EPT or the Irish Open would be more prestigious. I'd like to take this opportunity to state I've changed my mind in recent days. Can you talk about what this tournament means to you? Yeah, um, I mean, in in the context of that conversation, there was maybe four or five of us there, and it was I think it was me, Jamie Burland, Kevin Williams, and and Owen, maybe one or two others, and 
yeah, Owen was the only one like championing the Irish Open. And at the time, the, the discussion was whether we would rather win, you know, an EP, EPT Villamour or something instead of the, the Irish Open. And I, I'd always thought like the EPT was like very prestigious. And I, I still do. I still want to win one one day. But I think it really struck me this week running deep in it, um, you know, just how much it meant to the Irish community and just how big an event it actually was. Like, I've never seen a rail like that, you know, on a on most EPTs. Maybe the odd one in London if you've got a big British rail, but I haven't seen that sort of um, buzz about the place. There were so many people that I'd never met coming up and congratulating me. Um, so I know I know that you know that's in terms of what Phil Baker said. There's like an element of folklore about it in Ireland now. Every time I go over to the Irish Open, people are going to want to talk to me. Um, so yeah, it's just a very very historical thing and my dad sort of compared it and when he was sort of hearing about that my dad compared it to WSOP main in a way where um you know you've got that I don't want I hesitate strongly to use the word immortality but you've got that um you know it, it, there's something in it where if you go to Vegas and you're a former world champion you know, there's sort of like a something that goes along with you while you're over there and I, I feel like I'll always have that in Ireland now so um you know, you don't get that sort of thing if you just win a random EPT, I guess. Um, yeah, it's, I'm very, very, very happy to, to have won it. Well, beautifully put. And I think, uh, yeah, just you, you know, chatting a bit more about it there. I think the Irish community are exactly how you described them and and, and would appreciate you, you saying that. Speaking of the Irish Poker Open, Dara, you penned an article this week entitled The Best and Worst of the Irish Open 2023. Right out of the gate, I want to say what a great job I think the organisers did to find a suitable venue after losing City West through no fault of their own. The RDS might be the only place that could house such a festival. And I must say the room looked amazing and I heard plenty of positive reviews from the players too. The staff also put in one hell of a shift, it's fair to say. I imagine a lot of dealers are enjoying a well-earned week up with their feet uh, after, I think, eight consecutive days of long, long days as well. Um, there were, however, a few issues that you highlighted, Darren. It's fair to say that there have been a couple of unsavoury stories emerging since as well. Let's start with the two issues you had that pertain to the festival sponsor Poker Stars. Uh, firstly, the way they made players have to bag for day two before selling their surplus tickets. And then secondly, maybe the live stream. Darren, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it, it sounds very self-serving. I think when, when I complain about having you know the rules around the satellites, because it's fairly well known that under the old rules, I used to do very very well. And in fact, it was my favorite time of year grinding Irish Open satellites. Um, this year, I deliberately put a cap on how many I would win. And another an, another effect of this rule is it forces me into the earlier day, uh, which you know I would rather play the last day if I'm honest. And um, it, it also heavily incentivizes me to bag. You know, I bagged up just over starting stack on my second bullet at the end of day 1A. And the main feeling I felt was not disappointment that I hadn't really got a run and, and and run up a stack, but it was just kind of relief. Well, now I can I can have two days off and I can sell my, my six remaining tickets. I just think, I just don't see the point of this rule, if I'm honest. Like, I don't think they get anybody extra into the field. All that happened is 
you know, we all went on, sold our tickets to people who were going to play it anyway. I suspect they might even have lost a few. I, I I know at least two guys who were intending to play the Irish Open, but they were under the misapprehension they'd be able to get a ticket for very cheap because they thought there'd be a surplus and basically time ran out for them and, and they ended up not playing it at all. So I just don't understand the, the purpose of the rule. It just seems... Um, very uh, pernickety and pointless and you know creates this uh, this additional layer for us where we have to run off and find people that's fine for people like us who know lots of people um but you know i had students who had multiple tickets and they literally ended up going down the queue saying uh, oh you're buying in i'll give you i'll I'll give you 50 off or whatever if you buy it from me so again like what what is the point of that exactly um the second point uh on the live stream uh i mean i I have to uh, qualify this by saying that I watched almost none of the live stream. Um, I just watched a little bit at the end of day three when I got home uh, because Kevin was on the feature table. Um, but what I did watch kind of backed up all of the complaints I heard about it, that it was, it just didn't feel like the Irish Open. You know, there, there were no Irish voices in the box. They didn't know any of the Irish players clearly. Um, and there was quite a disrespectful, tone, disrespectful mocking tone towards the Irish recreationals as well. Uh, which came across. It just felt like, you know, the regular Stars team taking the piss out of Irish poker rather than a celebration of Irish poker, which is really what the Irish Open should be about. Um, so, and, you know, that 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 criticism was raised by a lot of the uh, leading lights in Irish poker. You know, people like Willow Connolly took to Facebook uh, to to complain about it as well. And Willow would, you know, Willow is not somebody who courts controversy um, or who would normally be critical. So that was, um, yeah, that was something which I think left a bad taste in the mouth for a lot of Irish people. They just felt that the Irish Open, not only was it not Irish this year, but it, but in terms of the commentary, but it actually sort of mocked the Irish rather than than celebrated Irish poker. Yeah, I got to agree. I, I did actually tune into more of it than you, Dara. I, I'm kind of somebody who will have it on while I'm sitting at the table. So I'm playing and watching what's going on at the same time. And um, yeah, like... I think Fergal Nealon put it best when he said that the lads were playing out of position. Clearly, Hartigan and Stapes, a veteran combo, you know, they have a lot of experience. They can put on a slick show. You know, there's an element of comedy. There's an element of calling the action. And, you know, some people love that shtick. Maybe some people don't love it as much. But, like, that's their performance, and that has a big audience. But it just didn't seem to fit right. He, he used the phrase played out of position, and it was kind of like that. It was kind of like... Yes, okay. They had all the cameras, they had all the angles, you know, the thing was sort of run pretty well, you know, in and out with the pairs of commentary teams, but it just lacked that flavor of Irishness that, you know, Finton would bring, you would usually bring on a final day, particularly with the extra bit of analysis. I thought it was lacking in analysis actually throughout as well, um, which I think, you know, there's a place for it. Like I think day one and two are probably supposed to be all about story finding and, you know, particularly you know, finding Irish stories, of course, that the traveling pros should get a bit of attention too, and it's great that they come. And that's a story in itself, but it's definitely a celebration of the pub player in Ireland who satellited in. And these kinds of stories didn't really get told this year. In fact, like names were not even pronounced correctly on many occasions, yeah. uh, which I was really surprised by. And then, of course, yeah, once you get down to the business end, you really do want that bit of extra good analysis, which, Dara, you've always brought when you've done it probably, I don't know, five of the last seven years or whatever it's been. And uh, yeah, I just didn't didn't feel like it was quite as sharp as it could have been. A bit disappointing, but yeah, look, 
Um, Stars have got a three-year deal on this one, so hopefully they'll they'll listen to this feedback. I, I think everybody loves the Irish Open, just wants to see it do really well and be the best version of itself. So it's it's criticism for the sake of you know trying to make the thing better that we all care about. Um, David, turning to you for a couple of other issues, as I think you are probably actually best placed to give your take on these ones. Dara also alluded to the extremely long days, day three in particular, and that got me thinking about possible solutions. One would be putting the buy-in up to 2K and maybe making it single re-entry. I think that would perhaps add to the prestige of the event, but also reduce the field so the structure could remain unaltered. The second idea I had was, well, you know, that weird double no anti-level at the beginning should just probably come out. I, I know it does offer a bit of extra play for people who who are in there from the start, but repeating that level just seems a little bit pointless. I don't know, at the, early on when when you're then forced to, you know, play an extra hour or even two hours more than you would want on the third day. And then the third one is um, potentially reducing the clock to 50 minutes on day one, which I'll be honest, I'm not crazy about that one. I, I don't like changing the structure in that way. But, you know, if they're a victim of their own success and it's going to be 300 or 3000 people next year and they're still trying to do it in four days, I think that's maybe something that they have to consider. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you make uh, a, a bunch of, uh, you know, potentially good adjustments there like suggest uh some good adjustments I, I i don't think the reducing the blind levels on day one would necessarily move prestige or anything uh the epts as they are are 60 minutes on day one and 90 minutes on day two and you know there for for the rest of the tournament um i know a few other like stops in europe do that as well so i don't think that would necessarily um you know damage the prestige of the tournament or anything i do agree about the no anti-levels at the start i don't know why organizers are still putting no anti-levels in when we have big blind anti it makes no sense to me um i i had intended to play from the start if i wasn't too tired since i just come back from australia um but when i saw the two levels at the start i was like there's just no chance i'm popping in here yeah. it just doesn't it, there's like i know what the argument is for you know recreational players maybe getting a little feeling like they get a little bit more play um but when you start at you know 300 big steep or two 200 or 150 big steep anyway you still get a lot of play in an hour clock like I don't think you need to have levels in there that almost prevent bad players from busting because they have too many chips you know um and when I say bad players I mean people who are not recreational players I mean people who are maybe there to gamble those sort of people are going to re-enter anyway so like, I don't think you need to you need to accommodate those people with earlier levels um personally I was at least a fan if you know if not the overall structure I was a fan of the fact that they told us right at the start of day three that they intended to do a very long day because that allowed me to sort of mentally prepare for it I think one of the worst things is when they haven't thought this through and they have to extend it you know maybe after the dinner break and it feels like you know a very draining experience not that it already wasn't but Mm. um yeah I, I did at least appreciate that they were aware that they were going to have to do that um but as you say it's over Easter weekend every year. So they have this very strict limit of four days that they have to get it finished in, I think. Um, and if the field's going to increase again next year, they absolutely have to do something. You do not want 14 hour days if you can avoid them. Mm. Um, I don't really think I would want to see the buy-in increased either because I think it would lock some people out. Um, I, I, you know, it sort of goes back to what I was saying, comparing it a little bit to the WSOP main where, I actually like this direction that they've gone in with the Irish Open. The first year I ever played it was 2009, and I believe it was a 4K back then. And yeah, it's a much smaller true. field. 
but it was a much smaller field, but it also meant a lot of players who maybe otherwise would have got into it couldn't afford to satellite in. Um, and I, I like the fact that it's open when when it's the the event that represents your country and like people are going to be aspiring to it. That, that's the one event that everyone wants to play every year. I think it should be at a price point where people can afford to get into it. So I don't like the idea of raising the buy-in um, to lock people out in that way. But yeah, I don't I don't think like uh, blind adjustments on on day one would be the worst thing um, if that's going to solve the issue. Yeah, just Darry, to, before we move on, Darry, your thoughts? Yeah, just on that, like I don't think uh, raising the buy-in would necessarily lock too many people out because essentially what's happened is the Irish Open has turned into something where people are willing to fire a certain number of bullets and, uh, you know, very few people approach it as a pure freeze-out, um, you know, where they're only going to do one bullet. Uh, and in fact, one uh, one guy who I know quite well, who runs a club up in the north, uh, Paul Rinty Monaghan, said that he has actually stopped running satellites for the Irish Open because he feels that it's pointless giving guys one bullet and sending them off down to play in an environment where everybody's firing three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine bullets. Um, and so, so I think actually maybe increasing it to two K might actually uh, get would get would get some of those players back. I also think, you know. I completely understand the reason why the buying came down. It, 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 it was related to the economy. The year that um, uh, uh, David mentioned, which was also my first Irish Open, was peak uh, Celtic Tiger. And there was just so much money in the country. I've often told the story that I ran into a golfer walking up the driveway uh, um, to, the, to that Irish Open. And I had to explain to him what poker was. He thought it was like whist, and then he he ended up entering the tournament. Um, there was that kind, there there was that kind of money around, so people pe- people just flashed around. Then obviously the economy crashed, and 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 you know, I think the, the low point was around 2015, which was the point which JP came in. And you know, I I want to say as well, like I obviously raised specific criticisms or things that could have been better this year in my piece, but JP has done an amazing job restoring the the, uh, the Irish Open. Everybody thought it was. You know, it, it just the it was a downward trend, and it seemed to be getting worse and worse every year. Whereas since JP has come in, uh, it's gotten better and better every year until until arguably this year. But again, that wasn't that was due to circumstances beyond their control. They they didn't have access to City West anymore, and 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 they had some is- other issues with the venue in terms of uh, capacity. But I but I would say that I think now there is a lot more money around Ireland. Uh, you know, it's it's our Ireland is a vibrant economy. I think maybe the best economy in Europe right now. So it's a completely different landscape. And I think you know we are potentially going to start seeing some bigger buy-in tournaments. And I think the Irish Open should always be the biggest buy-in in Ireland. It, it would be weird if if there's you know there's talk of a three k in the in the intercontinental in a few months. It'll be strange if the Irish Open isn't the biggest buy-in anymore. I think that might re- remove some of the prestige from it as well. So I think it might be the time to to consider um, increasing the buy-in again. I think people will still try and run satellites. People will still try and satellite in. Other people will be able to buy in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, but given that you know the bi- the big issue we have is like how do you run a tournament with three thousand runners in four days and have a good structure and not have long days? That that's just not possible. Yeah. Some of those things have to give. So I think there, it, it's understandable they were chasing bigger and bigger numbers every year. But but you know there's an upper limit. Like we can't have a ten thousand runner field in a few in a few years that still has. It, we're trying to run over four days. That um, that just won't work. Yeah, great points. I have to agree with you. Well, I do understand the points David made there. I, I do think that making it a two k 
there's actually another way to look at it is that then the rake doesn't need to be quite as high because it's as a percentage um, yeah. but could still be the same amount, which is obviously what they need to run the event as well. So I think a 2K single re-entry could be the sweet spot there where people can fire again. You get a bad beast, you know, day one, you can go again. But you don't feel like it's this like regional tour poker stars event where people are just firing bullet after bullet after bullet. And it, it kind of gets a bit silly sometimes. Anyway, moving on now to one of the negative stories I mentioned Uh, This is uh, the one I wrote about, actually, and it's the continuing presence of William Kasouf at live events. Uh, Leo Worthington-Lease went on Instagram on the night in question to call out Kasouf for having walked away from the table after losing a pot, allegedly bringing the chips that he lost with him before they were put into the pot. As soon as this story broke, it was corroborated by Keith Littlewood, who was one of the players in the pot. Um, In a statement to me, Keith said that when the money was committed, quote, none of the stacks were counted or brought into the middle. Kasuf asked the dealer to leave it there and just sort it out after the river. I think that part is very crucial, by the way. Um, he had top set aces with no redraws versus my straight with harsh flush redraw. Seat four had straight with diamond flush redraw. The dealer counted out seat four stack and gave him the 725 quid from mine, a quarter of the pot. Then the dealer went to calculate the main pot as just the preflop chips were in the middle. Kasuf's stack had disappeared and so had Kasuf. Everyone was saying, where is Will's stack? The dealer called the floor who then got the security guards to go try and find him. He had disappeared without a trace. That's a direct quote from Keith Littlewood to me. Now, I immediately spoke to JP McCann, obviously, uh, organizer of the event. And obviously, I, I felt like it was necessary to, to get his take um, uh, to ask him what he what had happened from his point of view. And he said the two players, Nikolai uh, Ponomarev and Alex Zeligman, had both said that they had spoken to William before he left. What I would say about that is it doesn't undermine Lisa's or Littlewood's version much, as it just means that he didn't leave the venue, which maybe he, you know, didn't from their point of view. Uh, if asked for the pot not to be pulled in and he scarpers when it's his turn to pay up, then security couldn't find him. But that's certainly what it still looks like. Do you know, like if, if he if he disappears in that moment and they ask security for, and they can't find him anywhere, okay, maybe he hung out by one of his friends or maybe he came back a bit later and hung out by one of his friends. If indeed he did do what he did, he would have chips that he would have to cash and one would imagine that would have been difficult if the guys are right in saying that like he was trying to um walk away with those chips he he'd presumably want to cash them in before he left the venue um and Daryl what did you think when you heard about this and maybe um could you speak perhaps to the problem poker has right now that of course any player in this situation should be innocent until proven guilty but given Kasuf's very well publicized past teething of money from his friend Ryan Mandara, he is viewed skeptically. Yeah, I mean, obviously I wasn't there when this happened and I've, I can only go on what I've heard. And, you know, as you said, innocent until proven guilty. The, the, the specific problem around Will is that the nature of the thing on which he was proven guilty of um, palming chips, uh, roulette chips, not poker chips, but, you know, if you have the ability to palm uh, roulette chips and that's not something you're born with either, that's something you have to cultivate then you certainly have the same ability with poker chips. So I've always been a little bit on edge when I've been at a table with um, with Will and you know kept kept an eye on all the pots and make sure that uh, there's no one you on towards sack. Now I have to say I've never seen any um, any issues around that, but it does create this weird dynamic where you know you 
you know that a player has in the past proven willing and able to do that. And um, that's in a, in, particularly in a situation like an environment like the Irish Open where, you know, lots of people are drunk and people not, not paying particularly attention. There's always the danger that somebody like that um, could take advantage of that. And I believe the camera situation was also quite uh, lacking. Um, I heard from one friend who said that a high stakes friend of his came and when he saw the um, the camera set up, he said there are going to be problems here for sure. Uh, this uh, this is this is uh, this is not an acceptable uh, camera situation for you know an environment where high stakes cash is being played. So there are all those issues around. Will um, you know? Um, I've never had any particular personal problems with Will, so I don't have really an axe to grind. But as I said, like it does create that tension uh, where you know you 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 are worried that you have somebody at the table who 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 might not be acting completely honestly. Yeah, in my article, I also alluded to an angle that Will pulled on Barney Boatman's table, which Barney believed to be intentional, um, adding the caveat, obviously, I'm not a mind reader, but I'm telling you what I saw on my very strong conviction that it was a deliberate stroke. He told the story of how Will told the cash table that he was playing 300 behind and then called the pre-flop action. Barney said that he waited intentionally until the turn to point it out to Will, who owed 30 euros to the pot, at which point Will claimed it was an honest mistake. Interestingly, since that article came out, another player, Carl Nolan, told an almost identical story of Will doing the exact same thing at his cash game table at the Irish Open, um, on this occasion playing 200 behind and not putting in the preflop 25 euro, despite being told to three times by his table mates. David, you know Leo, who obviously blew the whistle on this one, and you've also played with Will plenty, I'm sure, down the years. What do you think needs to be done here? Um, I mean, it's an interesting question. I, I... I did. Uh, I was in the bar when it happened. Leo had come into the bar and uh, told a mutual friend of ours, and then he passed up. He passed the, the information on to me, and my first sort of reaction was, "All right, that's not surprising at all." And I, I, I think, well, you see again, innocent until proven guilty. Therein lies the problem that Will has here, right? If it is somehow proven that he didn't do this, or it was, you know, blown out of proportion, or whatever people still believe it because of his reputation and he's done nothing to you know improve that reputation in any way he seems quite happy to live up to the bad boy image to have everyone think he's a prick to you know just <laughs> to just show up to these events and cause controversy and he seems to enjoy the limelight you know that's the problem he's banned from a bunch of venues in the UK He's now come over to Ireland where he wasn't banned and I think he probably will be after this. He's not going to have many places to play from here on if he keeps this up. And I honestly think, um, while I have, I'm kind of similar boat to Dara, I haven't had any like personal beef with Will over the years. I find him infuriating to play with at times, but, you know, he'll pass me, you know, at events and say, hi, Dave, and I'll say, hi, Will, and there's nothing really, you know, beyond that said. but. The real issue I think he has is something that I've I've heard one person talk about on Twitter that isn't really been brought up. I think people are assuming that if if he stole three hundred euros, it's because he has a gambling addiction or or something along those lines. I I think it's more that he's a kleptomaniac and he just likes the attention. And you're getting towards the end of the trip. He's come over to Ireland. Nothing's really happened for him in the tournament series. And no one's going to be talking about him at the end of it if he doesn't do something. And I think that actually might just play into it. I, th- I think he just enjoys the attention so much that he might deliberately be doing things just to cause controversy. Because like we're sitting here 
talking about him now. He didn't do anything in the Irish Open. We're still talking about him. And I feel like he'll love that to a degree. Um, so, yeah, I I, re- I really don't know um, what, what can be done about it. It's, it's, it's in Will's court. I get the feeling he doesn't really give a shit. Um, and I think players should be more wary of him in future, if that's the case. But to just quickly uh, touch on something Dara said as well there, um, in regard to some of the criticisms of the... Uh, of the tournament or how it was organized or, or, or whatever. I, I, I disagreed with some of what Dara said in his, his article, but one thing that he's just said that I really agreed with was a lack of cameras. And I noticed this on day two because I counted my stack down on day two um, during a break. I then went on break and came back and was absolutely certain that I was missing a 25k chip. And I said to my friends, I said to Jack and so on, like, I, I don't think I've miscounted this. I really don't think I've miscounted this, but I've got a 25k chip missing, I think. Um, and I had a look up at the ceiling and I couldn't see a camera anywhere. And I was like, there's absolutely no way I can prove this. There's like, there's just no, you know, fallback on it. Even if I say I'm certain I counted it, the dealer watched me count it. No one else knows what my stat was. So there's just no way of coming back from it. And I didn't highlight it at the time because I thought it might make it a more serious issue if people, other people realised there weren't any cameras. So uh, I actually didn't highlight highlight that at the time, but I, I think that was a big, big oversight, especially with um, the cash games running there. I think that was probably, for me, the biggest problem. Yeah, great points, both of you. Sobering thoughts there, actually very perceptive as well, Dave, from you. Um, I appreciate you weighing in on this one i know it's not easy to weigh in you're, you're brought in the show to celebrate your win and you're dragged into this kind of shite but now i do appreciate it um in a final point on this subject I, I went on record myself this week about how i saw with my own eyes will going south uh with tournament chips at last year's irish open i was on his table uh dara you and lots of our friends know this story because i immediately told you all the day it happened and um, basically twice that i saw him remove his own chips from a stack it made no sense to me like you know why why would someone do that it made no sense to me that he w- he would do such a thing until i later realized that he bagged up a, a day one starting stack from the previous day and of course in this format it's best stack forward so you know, therein lies where maybe the angle was. Um, I did report it to TD Nick O'Hara, but nothing was done because obviously at that point it would have been my word against his. Uh, but nonetheless, I know what I saw with my eyes. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, Louise Francoeur, this was another incident at a cash table over the weekend involving travelling Canadian player Louise and a local player. It is alleged that the local player slapped Louise and naturally enough, she called the floor. Now, it's a bit awkward to cover this one because Louise's statement was removed from Facebook. So we assume maybe it's better not to read from it because it's an ongoing investigation. We certainly don't want to do anything to corrupt the dignity of that investigation. But what she does still have up was uh, is a tweet where she says, pull camera footage. Oh, there is none. So again, we're harking back to the same issue. Um, speak to all involved. Oops, didn't talk to me. So she wasn't involved in the discussion about what should be done about the guy who allegedly slapped her. Um, and um, how strong was the slap? It doesn't matter. She's quite right about that. Um, would he have touched a man in that way? Uh, she asked that question. Um, ownership and promise to better handle next time would go a long way here. That was directly sort of saying that to, to JP, who had tweeted at her, the series of events described in your tweet is not fair nor an accurate account of the conversation we had. So again, that's why we don't really want to cover it in much more detail because perhaps 
they're sort of working out the facts of the situation and, and we don't want to prejudice it one way or the other. But Dara, maybe you could weigh in in a general sense of like how awful this is, what a horrendous black mark this would be um, on the Irish Open to have someone, you know, assaulted at the table, absolutely disgusting behaviour being alleged here and just sort of, I guess, like the safety of the players. Yeah, obviously, you know, in an environment where we're trying to get more uh, women into poker, this is this, this is a pretty horrendous story. I've been quite surprised to see some people try to, um, in inverted commas, defend the action saying that it was a, a tap rather than a slap on the leg and that there's a huge difference. Like, I... I, I, like I really don't know. I mean, it, when when did it become acceptable to, to to touch women on the leg under the table, uh, particularly women that you don't know? Um, you know, like uh, again, harking back to the world that I came from, running world, like I, I just couldn't imagine any male runner I know ever thinking it would be okay to 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 tap a woman on the leg to bring her attention to something. Uh, you know, you can use your voice, you can tap the table. If you really have to make contact, a gentle tap on the shoulder it seems to be the better line than. Than you know, hitting somebody on the leg under the table, and um, I think men are often unaware of just how it's not really a matter of how hard the the contact is. There, there's just certain types of contact that that are that are not acceptable um, <clears throat> unless it's between friends. And you know, and one thing I hope we do, we're hoping to do on the chip race and forthcoming episodes is to m- maybe have a lady on to talk about this and talk about like what is acceptable and what what is not acceptable i think a, a lot of men need to be educated on this stuff um you know they 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 often think they can do exactly the same thing to women as they as they do to men at the table but that that, that clearly is not the case and um there there needs to be dialogue around this and i believe louise has said that that's her main purpose here she wants to just uh, um spark some dialogue i've also heard and about another incident involving a woman from the Irish Open a few years ago, which I believe Lon McCarran also tweeted about. Um, I think maybe uh, there just needs to be some re-education of players, uh, dealers, and the floor staff, and maybe even going all the way to the top. The the, the tournament organisers need to kind of understand that certain things are just not acceptable. Um, so that's I think that's something which has to be has to be addressed. And hopefully, you know, something positive will come out of, come out of that in the long term. Um, but yeah, you definitely don't want to create a situation where women—I mean, women are already a tiny minority. So, and and if they're going to feel threatened at the table, I also think that there's a there's an onus on the men at the, at the table to sort of step in and, and 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 intervene if they see something like that going on. It's not enough to say that you know, well, it's every man for himself. Maybe it is every man for himself. But again, when you're dealing with a very small minority who feel vulnerable at the best of times in the poker world, um, you know, somebody should step in. I, I've, over the course of my career on a few occasions, I have seen women mistreated at tables and I've never stayed quiet about it. Um, I, I, I think men do have a responsibility there as well. No, you're absolutely right, Dara. David, I, I know you only heard about this story today, but your, your immediate thoughts... Yeah, um, I mean, I, I literally read the tweet, um, you know, not long before I came on. So I, I don't know the full background of it, but obviously, you know, you just take it at face value um, and, and can analyse it that sort of way. I saw a not dissimilar incident uh, when I was playing Can a few years ago, uh, where a French player, um, in, in my view, sexually assaulted the dealer as she was standing up. Um, and I immediately called them out on it and called the TD over and asked what could be done. And the French players around the table, not that I'm targeting French poker in, in particular here, but all the players at the table happen to be French. 
I assume they're going to back their their their, their fellow player up. They're you know the guy that probably plays in the same casino as them before you know some random Scottish kids uh, coming up to their game. But uh, they they all sort of were surprised and were saying oh, he didn't do anything that bad. You know it's quite normal. But um, it speaks to what Dar is saying about education. I I think that. There are people out there who will just refuse to be educated. Um, they they feel like they have ownership over women in these situations. They're just not very good humans, um, and they won't be able to be educated. But I think, like you know, in situations like this, it is good to have a bit of discourse. And uh, you know, if something positive can come out of a very negative experience, for uh, I'm not sure what the what the lady's name was, but uh, if, if something positive can come out of the situation, um, maybe it's a bit of discourse that will stop stuff like this from happening again. Yeah, wise words again, Dave. Uh, Louise uh, is is the lady Louise, in question. Yeah, is is very much saying that that's what she wants out of it. She's almost already accepting that what happened happened. She's obviously disgusted by it, but what she really wants is something positive to come out of it, which would be exactly what you're saying there. A, a discourse and maybe a you know maybe just maybe people just take the thing a bit more seriously, like they fucking should. But um, look. It has been a jam-packed episode focusing just on the Irish Open. I'm conscious we haven't, the world outside of the Irish Open doesn't exist this week. Uh, but I do realise that while obviously we are bringing up a lot of the criticism here, I, I want to reiterate what Dara said there. Um, you know, there's plenty to admire about this event and its operation and execution, even this year um, under you know more difficult circumstances. We love the Irish Open. It's an institution and we only want it to go from strength to strength. I know stars that three-year deal so hopefully they can take some of these comments on board to improve aspects of it from their end when paddy power pulled out of the irish open i think it was 2015 it was in a really bad place like dara said low turnout a lot to criticize back then jp and paul o'reilly have uh, you know revived the event as this big field 1k and restored so much of the excitement and pride in the event so here's hoping they can rise to the challenge of making it better again next year and addressing some of these issues too Finally, before we go, I have to, um, you know, uh, pay the bills here. Uh, the Chip Race Poker Series starts on Sunday on Unibet Poker. That's going to be 26 tournaments over eight days, Sunday to Sunday. We're adding a 7K leaderboard and 3K winner's free roll. That's coming straight out of Darrow Kearney's pocket, right? That, that that 10K is just from him. It's a gift. Um, for everyone who plays the event and wins an event, you get put into that uh, winner's free roll to play against us at the end. Uh, Dara, 200k in guarantees in this one. I've threatened bath picks. Are, are you looking forward to this? I'm never looking forward to bath picks, David. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> that's, that's never going to happen. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the series. Yeah, it's kind of nice to have another series to concentrate on just after after the nonsense of the live poker. Um, my wife usually spends about 48 hours after every uh, festival. Explain to me the many reasons why I should uh, I should retire from live poker. <laughs> um, some of which we've mentioned here. Um, but yeah, I uh, you know I went back to strip playing playing online and and it's been going very well. So um, I hope I, I hope I'll take a bit of online form at least into the Jipre series. Good stuff. Well, we are looking forward to playing that one next week. David, would you perhaps maybe like to join us for some of those events? Um, you have to say yes now because you're our guest. Even if you're not going to, it's that they're yes. it's anonymous on Unibet, so you don't. No, no one can prove you wrong. Absolutely, David. I'll be the person who wins it. Okay, I don't <laughs> know what their username will be, but that'll be me. Good stuff. Good <laughs> stuff. <laughs> on that note, I want to sincerely thank for all his fantastic uh, opinions and also congratulate once again the fantastic David Doherty. Thank you. 
Great to have you on, David. And thank you, Dara. Thank you, David. Um, I guess we're going to have to look out for DD now in the leaderboards on Univet. Indeed we are. <laughs> Take care, guys. Cheers, guys. See you.